Welcome to episode number 84 of the Grab Blogger podcast. This is the podcast where helping academics change the world through online business. Helping you by giving you the tools, the tips, the strategies you need to build an online business around your research experience, around your background, around your expertise, and around the change you want to make in the world. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we have on the call Dr. Barbie Honeycutt from barbiehoneycutt.com. That's B-A-R-B-I-H-O-N-E-Y-C-U-T-T.com. And we're talking about running an online conference for academics. Barbie, welcome to the Grab Blogger podcast. Thank you, Chris. It's so great to be here. Really excited to have Barbie on. Um, as I mentioned, she's at barbiehoneycutt.com and the Lecture Breakers podcast. Uh, she earned her PhD in 2005. She's worked in the university for 10 years, launched her business back in 2011 part-time, and then uh, left university in 2015 to, to run the business full-time. So she's been at this for quite a bit. She has a lot of information we can glean and learn from her in this podcast episode. And she also recently ran this online conference that we're going to be talking about. So I'm really excited about that. In this episode, we're going to talk about Barbie's journey. We're going to talk about what is Lecture Breakers and why did she create this online conference? How'd she plan the event? And what were her most successful marketing channels? Any other tips for someone looking to create this online event? And I will add here that we've talked about online conference quite a bit. Those of you that have been listening to the podcast for a while know that I ran my digital safety conference back in February of 2020. We covered that in the Marketing Your Online Conference series, I think, which were episodes 44, 45, 58, 59, 61, and 62. So if you heard me talk about it too much, that's good because now we have somebody else on to talk about their experience. Barbie, I'm really excited about this. Uh, really excited to have you on. I think the best place to jump in is just, can you share some of your journey and how you get started online? Okay, great. Thank you so much. It's it's uh, it's interesting to be on the other side of the of the podcast here. I'm so used to interviewing people, and now I'm being interviewed. So so thank you so much for being such a gracious host. Well, you know, first of all, you you covered it. I mean, in 2011, I started my business part time, uh, just as a speaking business, and at that time, it was called Flip It Consulting, F L I P, Flip It Consulting, and uh, I did that part time while working full time at a university, and I you know would take leave and then go to a campus and speak. I did a lot of speaking. That's how the business was built. And then in 2015, I had had sort of enough, I guess, of everything I was dealing with at the time with my job. Um, we had change in leadership and it was just not a good, good fit. And I also had had my son that year and I just really started shifting the way I wanted my life to look. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to turn in my notice and I'm going to go full time, full time with the business. So it was still Flip It Consulting at that time. And now I expanded and started doing some online courses, online workshops, as well as still continuing to speak. I also wrote um, seven books and really stepped up blogging. So it really started to to do a lot more content at that time. And then right around 2000, maybe 17 or 18, I started to feel like I needed to rebrand my business. One thing about naming your business, just tip for those out there who are thinking about this. When I named it Flip It Consulting, I had a whole model built behind what the flip is and what that means for teaching and learning. So my business at the time was focused on helping professors use the flipped model in their classrooms, which is just a way to organize your class and design it in a way that allows for more interaction and student engagement. Well, that worked great while the flipped classroom was trending, um, but I noticed that 
once people learned what it was and how to do it, um, I was getting less and less in, invitations to come and speak. And so I said, okay, I need to pivot. I need to, I need to expand on the brand. And frankly, I was so tired <laughs> of writing and speaking about the flipped model. I was ready to do something new. So I pivoted, uh, rebranded around my name, which gave me an opportunity to expand in lots of other ways, and then started the Lecture Breakers concept, which is a podcast and a blog and a conference. Um, I started that last year. So that's sort of a, a quick overview of where I started and where I am now. No, I love it. And you, you've obviously been running a podcast because you are extremely effective in delivering that uh, that history. <laughs> Good work there. <laughs> I've been practicing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's awesome. So you, you started your speaking business as a uh, working at a university in 2011. You did that up to 2015. I also... Well, I guess I graduated in the year I had my son, but I, I started my business officially in the year I had my son as well. So that's a, a key, can be a, those life changes can be a key driver to make you rethink how you want to structure things. Mm-hmm, absolutely. 2017, 2018, really around moving from this flipped, was it flipped consulting? Was that the name of the business? Yeah, it's, it's a flipped classroom model. It's a teaching, a teaching approach. Mm-hmm. Got it. And then 2019, you started the Lecture Breakers podcast. What is the Lecture Breakers podcast? Because I know that's where I, I know you from back in sort of self-employed PhD days. Uh, I remember your your flipped work there. But what is Lecture Breakers and what do you do at the podcast there? Thank you for asking. So um, I started the podcast October 2nd, 2019. So I just celebrated, well, based on when this podcast will publish, um, you know, it's been a little over a year. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and that was my big experiment. I'm like, you know, what, I'm going to try this for a year. And then if I want to keep going, I will. So I do enjoy it. But yeah, I was looking for a way to do something different with my business. I had been writing and speaking so much and just getting really burned out on the writing. I had, had just been just writing all the time. And, and I was like, I want a different way to connect with my audience. I want to grow my audience and I want to do it in a new way. And I think a podcast could be a way to do that. And I had kind of, you know, researched some of these educational podcasts in higher ed and there weren't at the time a whole lot. Um, there, there just aren't a whole lot about teaching. And that's what my podcast is about. It's about breaking up lectures so that you're not just talking at your students for an entire, you know, hour, that you're breaking it up with activities or student engagement techniques, things that really make the classroom more interactive, more student-centered and more engaging so that, you know, we are doing more than just that traditional lecture. So I want to you know, make sure that I'm providing a place where really creative educators are able to share what they're doing and how they're doing it. Because I think if we can sort of open the doors to our classrooms and our labs and and share what we're doing, we can learn so much about how to adapt that for our own classes. And that's what I was looking for. And through this whole experience, I have learned that I think one of my superpowers is being able to curate information and elevate the people who are doing it. I think, uh, you know, I, I love to create my own stuff, but I, I love to help other people celebrate what they're doing and share it with others. And that the podcast has given me the platform to do that. That's really cool. I like the the realization too, that, I mean, it was probably a skill before, but it maybe wasn't well formed in your head. But as you, as you started doing it, as you continue to develop it, it's like, oh, this is, this is what feels right. This is what I'm meant to do. I think so. And at first I was not sure because I am definitely the type of speaker and facilitator and teacher that feeds off of the audience. I love that energy. I love that interaction. And if you were to participate in one of my workshops, you know, we'd be working and having a good time and making sure that you're leaving with something that you could use in your class. And so switching to a different medium where I'm talking, you know, 
at a microphone. <laughs> I cannot see who I'm speaking to. Um, I have to be really careful about talking too fast because I'm from the South, but I do talk really fast when I get excited. And so I've had to learn all of these new skills, but I really enjoy it. And it was just a risk that I wanted to take. And, you know, I guess that's one piece of advice for your audience. You know, you're thinking about building that business and you start somewhere. Like I started with my sweet spot, which was writing and then moved into speaking and then did more writing, more blogging, books, and then moved into online courses and now into podcasting. So it's not trying to do it all at once. It's sort of following a path that you set for yourself and then seeing what works and, and letting go of the things that don't. Oh, you, you, you said the most important part at the end, <laughs> letting go of the things that don't work. Um, yeah, no, that's excellent. I, I want to get into the conference because, I mean, that's the really point of this episode. I saw you ran the conference. We had talked in some other communities we're part of and trading notes on running this, but I do, I do want to dig in this podcast a bit. I mean, we talked about how it's helped you connect with your audience, how it's helped you, you know, increase the change that you're doing with your business, how it's developed that brand. But I do want to focus a little bit on more on, you know, how has this helped your business than having the podcast? So somebody's out there thinking, Hey, should I start a podcast? Will it support my business? Um, what would you, what would you say to them? That's been some big outcomes for you. So it's a great question. So I think at first it's going into it, um, not trying to think about, you know, monetizing it at first, just really thinking about trying to to tell good stories and share really good information with your audience. And then thinking about how you might want to monetize it at some point if you want it to be some sort of revenue channel within your, your business. So for me, I have two sponsors that I've worked with, but I did not bring them on until I was about six months into recording. And so I had been recording quite a few episodes and then kind of got a, the feel for what I wanted my podcast to be about and who I wanted to connect with. And so then I was able to bring on a couple of sponsors and I don't sort of, I don't advertise every single episode. I think, you know, when education is your industry and educators are your audience, there's this weird relationship with selling <laughs> and being sold to. And so we have to be really careful about that. And that's something that I learn and, and continue to to try to figure out. Um, it's just, it's a really, really interesting market. But that, so that's one way that I have monetized if we're talking about growing the business that way. I do uh, get about anywhere from five to 25 new members in the Lecture Breakers Facebook group every day. I did not think that a Facebook group would fly in higher ed. I did not think that professors were in that space, didn't think educators were in that space, but I just tried it. I launched it in August before the podcast launched of 2019, just to see what might happen. And it's grown steadily every day. And we have, I think there's more than 1,200 educators in there now. And so, you know, that's another way that I've grown the business is, is that sort of free community space. And then those people end up also being part of my subscriber list. So my email list has also increased. And then the visitors to my website has doubled over the last 12 months. So since I started the podcast. So when we're talking about growth, it could be monetary, but it could also be, you know, just how many people are engaging with your communities and with your content. And so I've seen growth in both of those areas. Yeah, I love it. And I, I'll add one more in there. Um, just a, a general connection engine, like two ways. One, connecting with your audience, putting yourself out as the authority by creating that great content, being in their ears for, well, if you if you listen to all 84 episodes of the Grab Blogger podcast, then, you know, going on over a week's worth of time. So that's one, but also just within your industry and the people. I mean, I, 
I reached out to you. I, I would like to think that maybe you would have, uh, you know, done a coffee chat or something with me before. But now that I have a podcast, I just reach out and say, hey, you know, Barbie, let's go talk about this for a little bit. And it's so much easier when you have a podcast and you can kind of leverage the people you get on. You know, we've had Pat Flynn on this podcast way back in the early days. We had Leslie Samuel on. You can imagine I'm going to continue to reach out to, to other big name online marketers and say, hey, we have these folks on. Are you interested in coming on the Grab Blogger podcast? And it's really a great tool to be able to make connections in your industry and it can drive traffic and increase sales and you can do sponsorship. I haven't done that necessarily on either of my podcasts, but I sponsor my own products all the time. I mean, um, the self-tenured community just launched three months ago. That's a, you know, that's a, that's a promo spot. Go check it out. Selftenure.com. There's, there's just so much you can do. And if you're, if you're willing to get comfortable with the sound of your own voice and you're willing to comfortable record podcasts, it's a really great way to, to do all of those things. Yeah, I just I did want to put a little plug there that a podcast is a great way to grow your business and grow connections in your field and grow traffic for your website. Absolutely. And I was on a conversation. I was on a call yesterday with someone from Israel and we were talking about um, a business that he's starting and different things like that. And and um, he said, I feel like I know you, Barbie, because I've listened to all of your your podcast episodes. And so you're right. It's very different when you're sort of in somebody's ear with your voice every week, as opposed to writing. I mean, you can still convey some of your voice through writing, but it's just not the same. And so um, that was just a really interesting comment that he felt like he knew me just based on on the podcast. Really cool. So, I mean, we've got a good idea of your background, got a good idea why you started, the kind of different business models you've done, speaking books, well, basically all of them, <laughs> speaking books, consulting courses, workshops, starting the Lectures Breakers podcast, and really that whole new, that whole concept of how to lecture better, how to break your lecture up, how to make it more engaging. At what point did this whole idea of an online conference start formulating your mind as something you might be interested in? Yeah, so this is a good story. <laughs> so in December of 2019, I, I always do an annual survey with my um, subscribers on my list. And it's just a quick like three minute quiz. And one of the questions I asked them was, besides in-person conferences, how else do you like to learn about teaching? You know, how else do you enhance your professional development? That was my question. Left it totally open-ended and started grouping everything. And the number one answer for my audience was uh, reading. They love to read books and articles and journals about, about, you know, teaching. And I was like, okay, great. I'm burnt out on, on writing. So I don't really want to do that right now. And I really wanted to turn something around pretty quick because I was planning for the summer. I was like, what can I do this summer? Should I do another course? What should I do? The second response that they had was webinars. I'm like, oh, I did not consider that they might be interested in webinars. So I decided what I was going to do at that time right there in December, again, right before Christmas, right before the break. And I said, okay, I'm going to put together some webinars, and I'm going to package it as a conference. And that way, it'll be, it'll be more than a course. It won't be like a course. It'll be something different. It'll be something I've never done before. And, and we'll see what happens. And I decided to just go for it. So starting in January, I started inviting some speakers. And I'm like, um, I wanted my speakers to be the most popular podcast guest that I had had on the show. So I was going to leverage my podcast to give more opportunities for us to go deeper with these most popular episodes. And so I started inviting my speakers. Everything was going great. I'm like, this is what I'm thinking of. Here's the big theme. This is what we're going to do. And then March came along, March of 2020. <laughs> and I, I know everybody's like, yeah, we all know what happened in March. The pandemic hit 
and everything shifted online. So back in December, when I was planning this virtual conference, nobody in my space was doing virtual conferences. It was going to be unique. It was going to be different. I'm like, this is how I'm going to stand out. It's going to be a competitive advantage. And then when the pandemic hit, it was like, oh man, and is my whole audience, are they going to go, you know, to these other conferences? Are they going to come to mine? Like that was a big question that I had. So that's how it started. I don't know if you want me to keep going, if you have a question or something that you want to follow up on. Well, I'll just, I'll just jump in. Our conference went February, I think it was 28th, the last week of February, 2020. So like the week before <laughs> things went nuts in North America. <laughs> um, so we didn't know any better. Right. It just, it just dumb luck that we got it in. Um, but I, I, the funny thing is I, I was talking with a individual that presented at our conference um, yesterday. Niels is his name. And so if, if you think it's awkward to run an online conference in education, you can bet it's even more awkward to run an online conference in, in the field of industrial safety. You got a bunch of en- engineers tuning in and health and safety folks. And he basically said, when I heard your idea, Chris, I thought there's no way it was going to work. It sounded really dumb. And, but then he, he said, when I went, it was so well done. And I was completely impressed that I'll never miss another one. And, and he, did, he came to that one. He didn't miss any. But it was like, he was just the way it was run was so impressive. And then I think it'd probably be less impressive now because everyone's running and, you know, you got a webinar on every street corner, it seems like, and, and every week somebody's doing something in terms of online, but I, I'll be curious. Yeah. So let's go into your story now. And so you, you did run an online conference still, but how did you then, you know, differentiate yourself or did you even have to, let's talk about that a bit. Well, yeah. And that, that's, you know, you talk about timing, you know, um, I, I just kept my head down and kept going. I'm like, I'm going to do this conference. My goal is to get 30 people. If I can get 30 people at this conference, that'll be great. And when the pandemic hit, it put a little extra, I don't know if it's pressure or a question in the back of my mind, because I was like, you know what, um, I'm not going to be able to travel and speak now. And that was the main source of my income at the time, which was speaking, you know, traveling to campus, get an honorarium, they pay for, you know, the flight, the hotel, you know, everything. And I'm like, you know, as soon as we can't travel anymore, I'm going to have to shift and figure out a new way to generate income in my business. And so there was this in the back of my mind, I was like, I got to figure out how to how to make some some money, you know, because at the end of the day, I'm, I'm running a business. The same time, of course, I want to serve the needs of my audience. And I knew that they were going to struggle with getting their courses online and making those engaging and interactive, breaking up their online lectures. So I made the the effort to remind all the speakers. I'm like, look, I want you to keep doing what you're doing, but I want you to bring in pieces of how we do this online because the whole audience wants to know this. They're going to want to know how you make online learning more engaging. And they're going to need that this summer because in the fall, they're going to be online again, you know? So, so that, that became sort of my mission. I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. And the cool thing was I did not have to reinvent the wheel and I did not have to pivot at the last minute like a lot of other summer conferences had to do. Those conferences were already set to be in person. And so everybody was either canceling or scrambling or, or you know, rescheduling. And I'm like, I don't have to do that. I'm ready to go. I've been planning this since December. I'm, I've got a three month head start, you know. So I don't know. That could be just luck or, or what. But I just kept going. I did not let it get me down. I'm like, I'm going to do this. So. The overall conference itself looked like this. It was nine sessions. I did not, I tried not to take on more than I could, could manage. I did nine sessions over three days. So there were three sessions each day. We went for 45 minutes each session and had breaks in between. I gave them 
30 days access after. So once they attended the conference, then they had 30 days access to review anything they wanted. And I built a community around that, which we can talk about separately. And, you know, just really worked hard to, to market the event and try to figure out what people wanted and, and make it a great event. And so I was able to make a year's salary in three days with this conference. I had 352 attendees. So I consider that a success. I do too. That's awesome. <laughs> that's really cool. Thank you. No, I mean, that's an amazing story. And the part that I like the most is that at one point, it's like any good hero's journey. <laughs> at one point, you're like, should I continue down this path? <laughs> yeah. I bet you're pretty happy that you did. I, I'm very happy. Well, and, and you know, since this is a business podcast, um, you know, I can share that um, this really helped my family. So I was able to just take a deep breath because this conference was in June and I was able to generate this income for my business and I could just hit pause for a minute and say, you know, if I don't get any more invitations for the next year, my business will be okay. Um, I can take care of my family. I can pay my bills. I can continue to do what I do. And I don't have to worry so much about when's that next person going to call that needs me to do a webinar or whatever that might be. And so, you know, that was just, that's just an important part that I want to share with your audience in particular. The other side, of course, is that it did help me expand on, you know, grow my um, subscribers, get the brand awareness out there. I definitely helped a lot of educators. I know I did. We're, they're still continuing to tell me how much they're using the resources and materials that we shared from the conference. Um, I'm still in touch with every speaker from the conference to talk about, you know, they've all been on the show. I've invited some of them back again. So we started to build those relationships and and I um, feature them in, you know, the, in social media and anything they're doing, just try to elevate that. So it's really started to build this um, brand and this community and this momentum based on that conference. Awesome. So I have three notes here and we'll see how this goes. This may turn into a two-part episode, depending on uh, how, how long it takes us to get through these three notes. But I, one you mentioned, you know, you spend a lot of time trying to figure out what does your audience want? I think that's the question. That's a question that somebody's listening to this now. They're going to go, yeah. I should run an online comms. I've heard about Chris's success. I've heard about Barbie's success. This is something I should do, but I don't know what my audience wants. So that's one thing I want to address. Second is marketing. You plan for 30 people, you got 352. Um, how? <laughs> so we'll cover that. And then uh, the continuation in the community after, I think is a really interesting part as well. And we'll see if we can kind of get into that. Um, and if we we end up going down a long track, then maybe we'll get you back on for that, that last part. But let's, let's start at the start. How did you you know, address and figure out what your audience wanted for the conference. Okay. So that, like you say that first to figure out what, pla what I wanted to do in terms of, you know, do they want another online course or what do they want exactly? And so that the idea, their feedback from my um, annual survey gave me the input I needed to do webinars. And then I'm the one who kind of came up with, hey, I, I can package this into a cool summer conference. Um, and then, you know, after I, after people started, you know, registering, which was, you know, they started registering in March. That's when I really started to step up my marketing pieces and they started asking questions. And when, when people would register, I would email them back and say, Hey, what are you most looking forward to? And I didn't do it for every single person, but just when I could, I would email and say, Hey, what, what are you most looking forward to? What do you want to learn at this conference? And it just continued to say, they just kept, kept saying, how do I teach online? How are we going to do this with the pandemic? I got to get ready for fall semester, you know? And so I just started really shifting and making sure that all my speakers knew that at some point in their 45 minutes, they got to talk about what this means for online. Then I ended up making my last day, the third day of the conference, 
all about online teaching. So the first two days could be online or blended or any type of teaching model you wanted. But that third day, we really focused in on just the tools and techniques for teaching online. So I let my audience kind of drive that for me um, and how I pick you know, what direction to go. And the other thing is, it's really, 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 really important to make sure that you have very engaging speakers. So if you're going to venture down this path of, of, you know, doing a conference, I think before you advertise it and before you get out there and really start doing it, to make sure that you have people that you can trust to, to do a really good job because I had the most engaging speakers. They were fantastic. And I think that that elevated the conference as well. My experience was was slightly different in terms of volume, but I'll, I'll second the speaker part because that was actually the hardest part for me. So our event was four days, 52 presentations, and I delivered three hour long keynotes and two technical half an hour talks. <laughs> and I moderated every session. So it was a crazy four days. But the hardest part was the speaker management piece for well, 52 minus five so whatever that is, 47 speakers plus myself. Did you have tracks? Did you have like tracks for people to choose? We just did one track for the four days. Okay. Um, so they were pretty full days as well as like a morning session, recess, mid-morning session, lunch, afternoon. And then we had it bounded by keynotes on either side with replays available and, and all that. So it was amazing in terms of content because then we generated... 60 hours worth of, of content in, in, in four days that we can reuse and, and use in different ways. And we also built the community on the back end of our conference as well, which I, I recommend for a lot of people that are running an event. And it's it's another topic that's probably a big topic, but we'll, we'll hopefully get into that in this episode as well. But the speaker management piece, even, even to do 47 test runs, you do the math, you know, you're talking 20 hours if yeah, they take no. half an hour each. So <laughs> your conference was much bigger than mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it, in terms of uh, pre- presentations, I suppose it was. And it's kind of interesting the space that we're in, we are the a, a big authority, the biggest authority really for combustible dust and dust pollution safety. So even managing who doesn't get to speak was a challenge. And that's actually our biggest challenge this year after having such success, success last year is I, I sort of handpicked the speakers and handpicked the topics last year to fit them into an overall schedule I thought it was useful. And that took like three months. <laughs> this year, we're going to do a call for abstracts and that, but it will be interesting to see just how many submissions we get. And we did charge all our speakers too. Well, we didn't charge student speakers. We charged any in- industry speakers to, to speak at the event about double the ticket price. So it was 275 for a conference ticket um, and it was about 550 to So trying to convince speakers to A, pay, and then not sell product, that they had to be educational, was a challenge, but we did a really good job. <laughs> Nobody really tried to sell. It was all you know, educating about your product. And I basically told them, look, this is going to go on every year. It's going to be the biggest event every year. And if you if we don't like your presentation this year, you're not coming back. <laughs> so <laughs> that's sort of you know how we went about getting them to stay on the, the educational side. Well, and I think this shows the difference between a conference. So my industry is education and and yours was an industry conference that was educating, you know, the professionals. And I think this, you know, we've talked about the different approaches to this because in education, when you do a conference, you typically pay an honorarium to them to come and speak. And so I did. I paid a small honorarium to each of my my speakers. I had 10 speakers for nine sessions. And, you know, that was just the the norm. That's just what we do. But for you, you had them paying for that opportunity to get in front of that audience. So those are two very different approaches. Yeah, it's kind of, and I think we actually talked about that when I remember now when we were talking about this in the, in the other community, 
um, that same approach. And like I said, we're going to sell out our speaker seats in, in no time um, because it's really, I mean, they're making sales on multiple thousands of dollars worth of equipment by attending sometimes in the tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars of equipment by attending and being seen in front of that audience and, and getting those kind of leads and prospects. So it's good for them. But yeah, it's, it's uh, the thing I just want to asterisk and put a star beside is no matter if you have 50 speakers or five speakers, speaker management is, is a big part of your conference. And you probably don't even think about it when you plan your thing out, but you're going to have to plan, you know, put a good chunk of time down to manage that. Right. And, and they're a reflection of your brand for your business. So, you know, I'm all about breaking up those lectures, being engaging, you know, uh, interacting with the audience. And so I needed speakers to do that. And I, you know, I don't need you to come and talk for 45 minutes and then go away. You know, I needed it to be interactive and they all stepped up and they all did that. Um, and my role, you know, you're mentioning your role. My role was to be the host. Um, so I was the host for the entire conference showing up, doing all of the introductions and monitoring the chat and, you know, all that sort of thing is what I did. And, and um, I loved it. It was so much fun um, to play that role uh, in the conference. But that's something else to think about, too, is what role do you want to play if you're going to do the conference? Are you going to be that host? Are you also a presenter? You know, what are you going to do with your role in that space? I would say be the, be the moderator. So there's, a, there's like a, there's an authority factor that builds right in, right? So if you're seen in front and you're, you're kind of co-leading sessions in that, it just puts you in the right position. So when somebody asks me what, where they should present, I say you should do the opening keynotes and moderate the the sessions overall. Um, that just puts you sort of, you know, as the authority in that space. And that's, I think, an important place to, to be. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's sort of my recommendation there. I don't know if you have any other, any other thoughts on that. Uh, nope. I think that's, that's the main one. And, and, um, you know, the other thing is I did my speakers just invitation only. Like I just quietly, I contacted them, told them what I was looking for, gave them a description saying, Hey, this is my first time, you know, you'll be on this journey with me. Um, and like I say, it was people who, that I knew that I trusted. And, um, so, you know, at that point it wasn't, it wasn't something that people would submit abstracts for. And I choose, it was, I controlled all of that process. Yeah, I think we've had some of the speakers on the, the podcast before. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> um, You've had Norman and Echo. I think there's been a few. Yeah. So, yeah, we talked about, you know, how to figure out what your audience wants. And we talked about this this piece of speaker management. I want to spend some time on the, the marketing side of it. So you thought you were going to get 30 people. Maybe we'll start with how do you think you're going to get those 30 people? And then, <laughs> you know, how did that end up being a, a, an order of magnitude off? Yeah, that was a that was a big difference. <laughs> um, well, so I, I wanted 30 just because based on um, what I have done with previous like courses in the summer, typical, you know, I work with with faculty. So, you know, faculty development, a lot of those things are, you know, roughly that size. They're pretty small when it comes to cohorts and things. And that was just a goal that I had. And I had my price set at I think it was $2.99 a person. Originally, it was going to be $3.99. But after the pandemic hit, I, I did not um, increase prices. I stayed at that $2.99. And I also offered bulk rates. And I think that's a critical piece. If you can offer a bulk discount in, in my niche, when I'm working with campuses, with colleges and universities and departments, a lot of times if one faculty member sees an event and they see that there's an opportunity for a bulk rate, they're like, oh, and they'll you know move it up the chain to whoever controls the budget and say, hey, can I get five more colleagues to join me or whatever, you know, and that way you're getting more people and they're getting at a lower rate, but you're still able to to make that income. And so I had a lot of campuses that took advantage of that. Um, so I think that's 
that's one piece when it comes to marketing, at least in my niche. I had, I mean, I still had individual faculty members and professors and educators who purchased, you know, a ticket on their own. Um, but I did have a lot of, of group, you know, group registrations. So that's one approach. So we're talking marketing. Uh, my email list is another one that I used. So I have about uh, 4,200 people on my, my email list. And at back then I had maybe 3,000 people. And so I was just guessing like maybe 10% of my list might come, <laughs> you know, so that's how I was estimating that number. But I marketed to my email list. I advertised it on my podcast, very much like you said, where, you know, you're kind of planting that as the opening say, hey, don't forget the the conference is coming up this summer. Here's where you go. Um, I put it in my blog, on my website. And then I also invited sponsors. So again, some people that I reached out to that I trusted and knew that their, whatever their product or service was, was in alignment with my business and my mission. So I had sponsors who also helped advertise. And I really worked hard to elevate my sponsors, promote them in the weeks leading up to the conference, not just at the conference. Um, so they got a lot of exposure and that then had them sharing the conference with their lists. And then the other thing I did was create an affiliate program and we can, we can go there or not go there, but that's another piece that I did. So those were all of my marketing efforts. Do you, you may not know the answer to this, but if you do, that'd be, I think, the place to dive in. Do you know where the most of your sales came from? Like which which of those marketing channels had the biggest um, impact on overall sales? I'm going to say my email list. The email list was the most successful because uh, that's where people on my list was, hey, Barbie, I'm going to get five other colleagues. You know, here's what we're going to do. Or I'm bringing 10 other people, you know. So those people were already a sort of a quote unquote warm audience on my list. And so it was easy to market to them. They trusted what I was offering. And that seemed to be where the most energy was. And second, I would think would be the sponsors. Once I got the sponsors on board, they were so excited. And I, like I say, I really, really worked hard to, I spent so much time elevating my sponsors, giving them lots of shout outs, giving them links, sharing any of their resources and their tools. And, and then of course they shared. So those are like my top two when it came to marketing. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And all, I was trying to pull up our sheet here. We've done a series on uh, how to market your conference and in episode, I think it was probably episodes 58 and 59. Yeah, mark, marketing channel analytics episode fifty nine. I went in detail the uh, you know the, the different analytics of the different marketing channels that we ran. But our biggest one was also our our email. So we sold around two hundred forty tickets in total, and I was only able to track fully one hundred and twenty five of those. That's pretty pretty common. So people are coming in from you know left, right, and center. But the ones we did track, sixty percent of those that purchased were from our own email list and coming in from those emails. Interestingly, we tried to do external sharing where other people shared it with companies where we did kind of media partnerships where we promote them, but not near as well as, as I think you promote your sponsors. And that resulted in total of zero. <laughs> um, was, and there was a lot of work to set up those media partnerships. Um, so that was sort of one end of the spectrum. I guess on the, so on the email was it sort of just you sent one email or you mentioned it, you know, in regular content emails that are going out or um, you had an actual specific uh, email sequence or how do you actually go about promoting the event through your own email list? Yep. So I regularly email my audience. Um, at that time, I was emailing um, once or twice a month. And as I started, once March hit, I, I think I was doing twice a month pretty regularly. And 
I always had it in there. It wasn't always in your face. Like sometimes it was just to say, hey, there's only one month left to register. So it would be its own separate email. Sometimes it was embedded in sort of my regular monthly, you know, updates. Here's, I always sent a free article or something free to my audience. And then I would put, hey, don't forget the conference is coming up. If you want to register, here's the information. So I did it a lot of different ways like that. Then the, the other piece is once people started registering, I went ahead and created my community and the community was part of their ticket. So it wasn't an additional charge. It was just part of their ticket. And I made sure they knew that like your, your ticket includes all of these things and access to this community. And as soon as they registered, they were in the community. So the community was being built and they were open to, to going ahead and sharing and connecting with other people three weeks prior to when the conference started. So that started to create like some hype. And then once people were in there, they were reaching back out to other people to say, hey, you should come to this conference. So I started to find that some of my attendees were becoming, you know, the people who were promoting the most. And it was really hard to track that. Um, so I just say that, you know, in, in general, I would hear from people that, hey, so-and-so is in, in this conference and they invited me and I'm ready to register, you know? So I think that your communities can also be a place to to go. Yeah. Let's talk about that. So what was this community? What, like, yeah, what, what, what was it? What platform was it on and how did it kind of, how do you set it up? Okay. So I used um, Mighty Networks and uh, I can dig into that. That can be something totally separate. I'll just say that I used Mighty Networks and I upgraded to its like lowest paid plan. And that's one thing, just a side note, I used Zoom as my conference platform and I moved from the free version to the pro version to adding the webinar version very quickly as more and more people started to register. So just a heads up to people that are setting up their tech, just be aware that sometimes you'll have to upgrade your tech as you go along. So with the community, it was the same thing. I thought I could just do it for free, but once we started adding more bells and whistles and more people started coming into the community, I had to upgrade a little bit, which was fine, but I used Mighty Networks for that and I set it all up with different you know, categories. They could connect directly with the speakers, connect directly with the sponsors. I set up daily uh, interactions like, hey, what do you, what's a question you have for this speaker today? And I pre-planned all of that so it would go out during the conference. And it was so engaging. It was so, I couldn't even keep up with it. I mean, I, I would log in each day and there would be a hundred posts in there from people that were just so fired up to talk to other people. And so the community piece was not something I thought would, would work, but it absolutely did. And it's something that educators really needed. I think they just really wanted to talk to other people. So that's how I set it up. If I were to do it again, I would not use Mighty Networks just because I had a lot of issues with just some of the tech behind the scenes that I was trying to do. But for just a starter, just for a low price and just to get things going, the Mighty Networks was was the way to go in this particular case. I, I can't express the power of having the community behind it. And it sounds like yours is even really on fire for getting, you know, a hundred posts a day. And it's like, you're running around like, how, how the heck do I even deal with this? But it's a good <laughs> it thing. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned that Mighty Networks maybe wasn't the right tool for that. I know you have a pretty busy Facebook community as well. Would you recommend somebody doing it on Facebook? You're recommending, you know, a different platform altogether. I do recommend a different platform. I recommend, so so what I like about Money Networks is there's no ads, there's no nothing else competing with your community members' time and energy and focus. It is just your conference. And so they log in, they know what they're gonna get. The people in that space are only the people that are attending the conference. And like I say, in talking with a lot of the people in higher education, a lot of them do not do Facebook. And so I had a lot of people who, who don't, they're not in my Facebook community at all. So So I think that's an important, thing to know about your audience is where do they spend their time social, on social media. So I do think that a, that a separate platform 
like Mighty Networks, or there's a new one, Circle, that's being used. Um, there's a couple more out there that I'm that I'm researching, and you know, once people are in that space, that's the only community that they see. And I think that's really, really important. Whereas Facebook, once you log in, you know, you're bombarded with ads and all the other groups you follow and the daily posts. And some of the people might be in your, in different parts of your business. Like some people in my Facebook group listen to the podcast. Others have attended workshops. Some have never attended anything. Some attended the conference. Like it's just a mixed group. And so I think that when you're creating your community to kind of, kind of think about, about, you know, what it is you want the community to be able to do. And for me, it was about building those connections and they just couldn't do that in Facebook the way that I wanted them to. Yeah. I would, I would highly recommend staying clear of Facebook for something like this for a lot of the reasons that you are mentioning even mighty mighty networks is is good because it does have a free option and i've been part of a couple of communities in mighty networks but i've always struggled to it just it, it doesn't quite seem to set up the way that i want to be in a community <laughs> i found find it hard to like kind of find stuff and it's i don't know it's a little bit strange i, I use 10x pro for um, the dust safety academy community and for the self-tender community I love that, but it's on the sort of higher end of the price range. Now, for me, if you're planning on selling 300 plus tickets at $200 a pop, then you know buy the tool that's going to get you the job done. <laughs> um, Tanks Pro is a good one. Kartra is a, another good one, and Circle is also a, another good one. And Circle is uh, it's more social wally kind of more like Facebook would be than than Tanks Pro. And I haven't I haven't used Kartra myself, but I know other people used it for similar things to me it was totally worth it because i knew this was going to be a continuation community that we're going to sell memberships in and 10x pro for me is completely integrated on the front end so it essentially has like a, a funnel software you put in one stripe code you can do all your payment right through the same page as essentially the same thing as like lead pages or you know funnel software built right in it integrates with uh, your email by just sending tags when people click on things inside the community and that. So it's sort of an all in one platform, um, which was really nice to grow into because now we don't have to worry about stitching together all these kind of crazy different tools to try to get uh, things done at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, um, in my post conference survey over and over and over again, I mean, like top two responses for what they found most beneficial uh, was, was the community. I mean, they just really valued that piece. So what, where's the, like, what's the community now now that the conference is over? What's happened with that? So I, I kept it open. Um, they asked me to keep it open. And for the first maybe 30, 45 days, they were still very active in there. But then once the semester started um, in August, uh, then I haven't seen as much activity. So I don't think I'm going to keep that space active. Um, right now, it seems like most people have moved over. And if they're in the Facebook group, then that's kind of where they have the most action. You know, they're mostly engaged there. So I have to check back in with them and see. I was just kind of letting it ride. Um, for a while there, I was posting regularly, but just not getting the responses. So that's something else that I've thought through is whether or not I want to leverage this into some sort of community model. Um, but for me right now, it was just to kind of have that connection that was very focused on a community during an event. So I have not scaled that out. Um, that could be something in the future, but it's not something that I've done yet. 
Yeah, you and I, you and I will have to talk on offline on that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I would, I would never get three hundred people into a community and then let that die away. Um, but we, we can talk about some strategies on that, maybe. <laughs> yeah, well, and I will say all of those people are in my email list, and uh, I bet more than seventy five percent of them are in the Facebook group. I mean, like I say, it, it exploded. The Facebook group really exploded during that conference as well, and and um, so I haven't lost touch with them. They're still there. It's just, uh, I think that's another thing too to understand the nature of your audience. So my audience has the time in the summer to dedicate to professional development and do this work. But when fall starts, they don't. And and they might if it was a normal year where we were coming into a semester in an academic year and they were doing what they normally do and they understand their schedule. But right now with the pandemic, they are very burned out. They don't want anything additional. Um, they're, they're just very overwhelmed. And I know this about my audience. I've tapped into that a lot. I've talked with a lot of them. And so I've backed way off in the fall where I'm just providing some free content and some value to support them in bite-sized chunks. I send them a weekly teaching strategy and checking in. It seems like they need that support more than anything else right now um, because they're just being bombarded with so much new ways of teaching. And so I'm sensitive to that, but I haven't lost them. It's just, I'm trying not to overwhelm uh, because I'm, like I said, that's just what I hear from from them and working with academics. Yep. Yeah, it makes sense. So, I mean, we talked through a whole gamut here. We talked about figuring out what your audience wants. We talked about dealing with speakers, talked about marketing, talked about the community piece, whether or not that's continuation afterwards or even just the community for the event, which is really powerful as well. Um, community before the event is actually really powerful. I I didn't use that in my conference, but now that I'm thinking about it, that's actually really nice. It worked out really well for you. And then you'll see some of the you know, online marketing folks do this as well, where they have a conference coming up and you'll create a private community that's exclusive for the people that are in there. And people want to get a look behind the curtains, but you got to buy tickets. So it's a, it's a good thing to even before your event to kind of load off on. Oh, yeah. I created so much hype and awareness for the conference through the community. And that actually came from a colleague in a mastermind group I'm in. And she was like, Barbie should open the community well before the conference. And that was absolutely spot on. Um, that, that was one of the best pieces of advice I got for the community. Love it. Well, I guess any, just to kind of close the circle, what did we miss? You know, what's the, the kind of tips that you have for somebody that's wanting to did run an online conference. I think you even mentioned when we were talking before and that maybe create some sort of resource that people could use for this. So, yeah, so I do have um, a free uh, sort of planning guide where I give you uh, 12 you know, decisions you need to make before you launch your conference. And so you can get that at barbiehoneycutt.com slash guide. So uh, we'll put a link, I guess, in your show notes, maybe. And so it's Barbie, B-A-R-B-I, Honeycut, H-O-N-E-Y-C-U-T-T dot com slash guide. And I also include in that packet a copy of my conference program. So you can kind of see how I laid it out. I mean, I went all out here. I, I did a conference program that profiled the speakers. Um, we also designed a digital badge. I had one of my sponsors. We traded him doing the sponsorship and managing the um, digital badge. We kind of traded that. He would do that service and I would you know, offer him a, a sponsorship package. He created that, ran that whole thing. And, and we had about um, maybe almost 50 people earn a badge, a digital badge for attending the conference, which was pretty cool. Um, so I included that in this guide and it's just a way to, to see uh, just how I pulled it all together. In terms of other things I did, uh, one thing that was a lot of fun is I did a swag bag. Um, so, you know, if you think about when you go to of, of a person, an in-person conference, you 
would visit the vendor tables or the exhibit hall and you, you know, pick up free pens and a free bag or whatever they might have and you learn about their services. So I put together a digital version of this where there were coupon codes and free books and things like that that people could get. And it turned out to be, a, I don't know, maybe 30 pages. I mean, it was an extensive swag bag that people really loved. And then throughout the conference, um, I had some sponsors as well as some of my speakers who did giveaways for their books. So we would do raffles throughout each of the breaks and just made it really fun and people just were so supportive of each other if they want a book they were like congratulations you know so there was this great community piece um, and they were just really loving that part which I think helped um, make the conference as fun as it could be uh, you know since we can't actually be there in person together so those are just a couple of other things that I did that were kind of different than what I've seen other virtual conferences do. No, I love it so yeah we talked through a lot of tips a lot of ideas we'll put the link in the show notes for this guide that that, uh, that Barbie put together, these sort of 12 questions. And that's at barbiehoneycut.com slash guide, but you can go to grapplar.com slash 84 and we'll have the links there for that. I guess the only place to, to kind of leave off is what what's coming up next for you. What's going on for lecture breakers? Are you doing a conference in 2021? Where's, uh, where's, where's Barbie Honeycut headed? Yeah, thank you for asking that question. Um, so I definitely want to continue my podcast. So I, I finished year one and moving into year two now. And I'm ready now to create perhaps the the beginnings of some online courses for lecture breakers. I've done them in the past for Flip It Consulting, but now I'm ready to kind of extend that as part of part of the brand and the services. And I am thinking about a 2021 conference in the summer for the lecture breakers group and people are asking for it. And to me, that means, you know, <laughs> I need to step up and provide it. It's a little scary because I don't know if, you know, there's going to be as like, I don't know, what is the summer of 2021 going to hold? I don't know, I, but I've started planning some initial ideas. I'm going to survey my audience again at the end of this year and ask them again, what they're looking for um, and reach back out. But yeah, I've had probably a dozen people asking if I'm going to do the conference again. So to me that, that was a, you know, a sort of a pat on the back that maybe I did a good job. So, and then uh, I think for me, for me, I would like to look into more affiliates and or partnerships with, with the podcast as well as the the conference. Oh, I love it. And, and pat on the back from me, you did an excellent job and uh, maybe a little, a little push to uh, say, <laughs> I mean, you, you thought you were going to have 30 people, you end up with 350. You know, I, I don't think you need to think small about this uh, upcoming year for you and this conference and, and the lecture breakers podcast. So 2021 is going to be whatever 2021 I say, say it's more of the podcast that everyone's listening to the podcast. Um, there is space and people have needs and those needs are only increasing in times like this. Um, get out there, figure out what they need, become that person that can help them. And, uh, you know, you'll be amazed what what's going to happen there. So I, I think there's very bright things in your future, especially considering how good you are at this, how much you, already know and the the willingness to really put yourself out there i i i, uh, I can't help but think uh, there's some, some really big things coming well thank you i really appreciate that thank you really cool so if somebody wants to learn more about you learn about lecture breakers and and you can go download uh barbie's guide at barbiehoneycut.com for sure slash guide but where's the best spot people to, to find you if they want to learn more about what you're doing Go to barbiehoneycut.com. That's my main homepage. And then, of course, if you want to listen to the podcast, go to electrobreakers.com. And it's available on all podcast platforms. And then I'm also out there on Twitter. There's a Facebook group. And I'm also on, link, on uh, LinkedIn. Awesome. And yeah, if you are a teacher and you want to learn how to lecture better, then I would definitely go check out Barbie's Facebook group because it sounds like it's got the, the people in there asking the right questions, getting the right answers on how to figure that out. So that sounds like a, a really good resource there. 
Yes, thank you. Barbie, I want to say uh, thank you for coming on. I can tell already that uh, we'll be getting you on hopefully before the 2021 conference again, but uh, I, I appreciate taking the time day to really be open and transparent, share how you how you ran your conference. Thank you so much. It was great to be on the show. I really appreciate what you're doing. And um, I'm happy to uh, connect with any of your listeners and, and share more. Awesome. Thanks, Barbie. I appreciate it. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney and Dr. Barbie Honeycutt from barbiehoneycutt.com. We've been talking about how to run, or we've been talking about running an online conference for academics. Uh, we went through Barbie's background, how she gets started with business through speaking, um, how she turned that into her full-time job. She left her, her university position in 2015, how she really started to convert and change. And what I really liked about her story is that she's always innovating, always changing business models, always looking for that next thing. She talked about speaking, books, consulting, courses, workshops, even you know, changing whole models, changing the, the business names. It's kind of interesting to see those things. And, and those of you that know my background will know my my business, my website was originally mydustexplosionresearch.com, which is like the worst name you could ever imagine. So it's all right to get it wrong at the start and, and you know, modify and, go, and uh, change as you go. We really dove in deep, actually, probably about 30 minutes deeper than I thought we were going to on the conference. But we really covered a lot of really important ground. So if you've listened to the previous podcast episodes on Marketing Your Online Conference, I listened them off the first, but uh, they were 44, 45, 58, 59, 61, and 62. You'll get my view, but it's interesting to see a lot of similar overlaps with Barbie's event and Barbie's conference as well. And we really dove deep into four areas, how to find what your audience wants, how to handle speakers. And that's like the two keys to a conference, right? <laughs> audience and speakers. But then we you know, talked about the other keys, how to sell tickets, how to market, what market channels are going to be good. If you don't have an email list already, start growing one today because it's going to be your biggest conversion channel for things like this down the track. And we actually spent quite a bit of time talking about community, how you can build that into your conference, what platforms to use, what some of the benefits are and limitations are of different ones, and even some longer-term strategies, how you turn that into a, a continuation model um, for your business afterwards. Barbie was very kind and put together this um, guide on her thoughts on running online conference. Um, some questions you can ask yourself there. You can get that at barbiehoneycutt.com slash guide. As always, you can get the transcripts to this podcast episode at grabblog.com slash 84 and really nice PDF download. This was a, a longer one. So if you go download that control F, you can search for the, the terms that you uh, you want to follow up on and read up on more. So all in all, I just want to say thank you again. And thank you as always for listening to the Grab Blogger podcast. We're here to help you build your online business. Whatever you're doing, if that's speaking, if that's consulting, if that's writing books, that's hosting conferences, this is what we're here to do. And this is why I want to keep bringing these um stories and these people on in the space that are, are doing really big things like Barbie is. So that I'll close over this week. I look forward to talking to you next week on the Grab Blogger podcast. Mm-hmm.